Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Remnant. I love you guys. Today's topic, and uh, we've got another author on. It's, it's author week here on the podcast, When Faith is Forbidden. We'll get to that in a minute. Father, thank you for giving us another opportunity to talk about things that are really significant in terms of eternity and for our lives right now, our present lives today. We I ask that you'd give us strength and wisdom and lead us by your Holy Spirit to do the work that you've called us to do. And Father, soften our hearts, uh, break our hearts for the things that break yours, and help us, Lord, to get out of our Americanized uh, lifestyles and help us to really recognize uh, what we can be doing for your kingdom in such a short lifetime that we each of us are here. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom and uh, guide us protect us. We thank you for your provision, and we pray that your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Excited to have Todd Nettleton back with us. He is on our program, Voice of the Martyrs, not our program, but VOM Radio every Saturday morning here. And he's the Director of Media and Public Relations for Voice of the Martyrs USA. He's a voice for persecuted Christians, inspiring believers with the faithfulness of Christ's followers in 70 nations where they face persecution for wearing his name. During more than 20 years serving at VOM, Todd Nettleton uh, traveled around the world conducting face-to-face interviews with hundreds of Christians who've endured persecution in more than 30 nations. The book, brand new by Moody, it's called When Faith is Forbidden. Todd Nettleton, welcome back to Standard for the Truth, brother. Thank you very much. It's always fun to be with you. Oh Well, we before we get into the book, we've got to talk about your big virtual event you had and the story you shared with me just before we got on the air. Well, the Imprisoned for Christ virtual event, we held it last Friday. We invited people to register and watch online, and we had more than 150,000 people watching from more than 50 countries and here's the really cool thing so so the the content of the event what the event was is three former prisoners for christ sharing the story of their imprisonment the story of god's faithfulness uh, but also a really transparent look at man it is hard it was there were some really dark days in that prison cell so uh, peter yasek was imprisoned in sudan Dan Bauman was imprisoned in Iran, and Pastor Andrew Brunson imprisoned for two years in Turkey. All three of them sharing their stories. Natalie Grant led the worship in Mm. in between the speakers. So 150,000-plus people in 50-plus countries. But the really exciting thing, there were people in hostile and restricted nations watching this, watching, you know, Christians in places where they could face persecution, watching Peter and Dan and Andrew talk about facing persecution, talk (laughs) about being in prison for Christ, talk Mm -hmm. about the darkness of that and the hardship of that and the frustration of that. God, if you're powerful and if you're in control, why am I in a prison cell? How how could you let this happen to me? Mm -hmm. Talking about those things to 
Christians in China, where Christians are heavily persecuted, to Christians in India who are under attack right now from Hindu nationalists. So this was not not just an event for American Christians, although I would encourage people, you can still watch it on demand. Uh, Persecution.com is the Voice of the Martyrs website. There's a registration link right near the top of the page. You can still watch this. Uh, But I think maybe more exciting for me is the fact that, hey, Christians in China were watching this. Christians in India were watching this. Unbelievable. This was really encouraging the worldwide body of Christ. What a phenomenal event, and it's great that you have it on demand, that people can go and watch it. I see it's right on the homepage of persecution.com, Imprisoned for Christ virtual event. Just fascinating. And, Todd, I bet in some of those nations where they were watching it online, some of those believers, possibly in underground churches, they had already been in prison. They knew exactly what these men were talking about. I I think that, too. And I wonder and I hope uh, in the weeks to come that we may get some of that kind of feedback. Like like we'll hear from some of those believers Mm -hmm. that are like, wow, you know, I saw Dan Bauman talking about how he was so low and he was so discouraged in prison that he actually tried to take his own life. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was in prison. I had that experience, too. Let me tell you my story. So I hope we'll start to hear some of those stories uh, in in the weeks to come. But it just it it is really cool to be a part of the body of Christ. And it's really cool in, in this day and age with the technology we have to know that, hey, you know, I'm sitting in my living room or I'm sitting in the sanctuary at my church and we're watching this and we're watching it, you know, virtually alongside persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Hmm. Uh, what an amazing what an amazing thing to think about. Yes, there's a lot of junk and garbage that goes with technology and the internet, but there's a lot of good and the church can use it for good and that that is one of those events where you kind of go this is God pulling all this together. Um, Todd, Andrew Brunson uh, give, gave a little blurb for the book. He was the one that was, of course, imprisoned two years in Turkey. And regarding your brand new book, When Faith is Forbidden, he wrote, Stories like the ones Todd has collected in this book are of great value as we prepare ourselves in case we are called, in case we are called on to stand in that long line. And I believe it is a matter of great urgency that we indeed prepare. Um, some great words you had from people to endorse the book, Tom Doyle and others. Um, share about uh, what led you, after all these years of being in this ministry and doing this work and traveling, to put this all together in this book. Well, the book has been in process for a long time. And in fact, <laughs> as, as we were going through the launch process, I looked the the first file I have of of what eventually became this book uh, was in 2006. So so there's a, that's that's a long time wow. ago that I've been thinking about this. But <laughs> the idea of the book really comes from you know when I come back from a trip and I've just been in uh, you know Tajikistan and I've sat down with persecuted pastors there and heard their stories and I I come back and I start to tell those stories in in radio interviews like this one, you know, I occasionally will speak and I'll tell those stories. And it is not uncommon for one of my friends or somebody to come up to me at a VOM conference and say, man, I wish I could go with you on a trip. And so this book is sort of a way for you to do that. Mm -hmm. Hey, come with me, pick up a copy of this book. Let's go for 40 days 
And I want to tell you, I want you to hear from some of these brothers and sisters the most impactful, the most inspiring stories that I've heard over the last 23 years. And, and the result of that is, I, on day 41, you're going to be different. Your faith is going to look different than it did when we started this journey together. You can't hang out with these kind of people, and you can't spend 40 days hearing their stories without it starting to work its way into your heart mm. and into your mind, and you start to think, wow, what would I sacrifice for the name of Christ? Wow, who is around me that needs to hear the gospel? And, and I just need to open my eyes and say, wow, that person is ready to hear the gospel. So that's that's really the challenge and the offer of the book is, hey, come with me on a trip. Let's go to these places. Let's meet these Christians. Let's hear their stories because their stories are going to impact your story. It's going to impact the way you live out your faith in Christ. Mm. Um, Todd, I started reading the book um, and uh, you know I skimmed through a lot of the chapters, but I could not stop reading. It's, it just draws you in. You do it so well. And it starts off with you putting together your pre, uh, pre-flight checklist. I thought that was just so cleverly done. Uh, but I would like to share with our listeners, if I could take uh, the time, your journal entry from October 19, 1998. Um, unless if you want to share it, um, if you have the book there, you probably don't have the whole entry memorized. Sure. I, I'm happy to share it. Why don't you please do that? Because it had me choked up when I was reading that. Just the reality of what you were about to embark on. Uh, yeah, let me... Page 14. Okay. So from my journal, and each day's story in the book has an entry for my journal from that trip or, or something to kind of harken back to that trip. So as you said, October 19th, 1998, right before leaving on my very first trip for VOM to Sudan... This is my journal entry. One week from tomorrow, I will be leaving my nice, safe, comfortable life in Bartlesville, Oklahoma to spend 10 days distributing food and Bibles in Sudan, about 10,000 miles outside my comfort zone. Hmm. It has been interesting the ways I have thought about this trip and what might happen. First, I had to think about the possibility that I won't come back. Sudan is a dangerous place, and quite honestly, the government soldiers there wouldn't hesitate to put a bullet in my pale American body. Knowing I might not come back has given special urgency to my days here. I want to spend every moment with Shar and the boys being an exemplary husband and father. I want to be caring and compassionate. I want to turn off the TV and spend more time talking and listening. I want to hug a lot and tell them each I love them about 25 times a day. But then I feel guilty. Why don't I live like that all the time? Hmm. Why does a trip to Sudan scare me into being the man I should be 365 days a year? Do I feel vulnerable in war-torn Africa but think I'm indestructible in America? Don't I know that a drunk driver or drive-by shooter or random act of violence or a car wreck could end my life tomorrow right here in America? Why don't I always live ready to die instead of only when I'm getting ready for an international trip. Hmm. Perhaps that is the lesson of this trip for me, not to take tomorrow for granted, but to live each day ready to step off planet Earth and into eternity. Hmm. That's perspective for all of us, because how easy it is to get comfortable and take those close to us, and even our lives, 
for granted, which leads me to the next question, Todd, before we dive back into the book. Um, why is it so difficult for believers, particularly in America, to understand the reality of persecution? I think because it's not a part of our experience, and, and it's so, and not only is it not a part of our experience, it's so far from our experience. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we are so blessed to yes. have the freedoms that we have. We're so blessed to be able to go to church on Sunday and gather with other believers in our homes and sing praises at the top of our lungs and have, you know, mass events in a stadium and, and buy Christian products that the idea of, of, hey, this is illegal, or this is unpopular, or I can't do this, or I'm going to end up in jail, that is so far from our experience that it is very difficult for us to even sort of put on that mindset and think in, the, in those terms. Mm. Um, so, and, you know, that's one of the blessings of the book, that's one of the blessings of these stories, is it helps us because the Bible says when one part of the body suffers, we're all supposed to feel that. Yes. Well, if it is so foreign to us and so far from our experience, and, and we don't make any kind of effort to plug in and understand what our brothers and sisters are going through, we cannot honor that Scripture. We cannot feel the pain of the parts of the body who are suffering if we're completely disconnected from them. So mm. that's one of the blessings of of the work of the Voice of the Martyrs. It's one of the blessings of this book. It's one of the blessings of VOM Radio is, hey, we hear their stories. We start to know what they're going through, and and we're able to feel their pain as as they suffer. Mm. I, I thank you for that. I think that we all need to just think about, you know, how we can um, support them. Of course, prayer. Um, how we can maybe, if, if we can't relate to what our brothers and sisters, our family in Christ are going through, maybe we can read books like yours that will just take us there and give us a new appreciation, not only for the people that are out there, you know, just really standing for their faith, but those who are missionaries, those who are fighting on the front lines. Um, Todd, I loved the chapter Beyond Our Control when you talked about so many things that were out of your control, that trip certainly did not go how you planned, but there are so many interesting things that God did. Could you sum that up for us? Well, I, I talk about this, again, was my very first trip for VOM, and we went to Sudan, and we were going to deliver Bibles to a place where a previous team had delivered boxes of Bibles, but just a couple days after that team made that delivery, uh, Mujahideen attacked the village. Uh, they actually shot the pastor that our previous team had met. He was killed. They burned the Bibles that, that we had delivered. And so when I went with the team I was on, uh, we were going to replace those Bibles. Mm-hmm. We were like, hey, if you burn these Bibles, then we're going to bring more, and we're actually going to bring more than we brought the first time. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to pour Bibles into this village. Well, Nothing happened according to what we had planned. We we were never able to get to the village that we were targeting. Hmm. Uh, when we got there, the plane, the, it had rained, and so the airstrip was muddy on both ends, and, and the pilot didn't think the, the dry part in the middle was going to be enough to get back off the ground or, hmm. or to land safely, so we couldn't go, we couldn't fly in. Then we tried to get a truck, and we couldn't get a truck, uh, and once we found a truck, there was no gas in the village where we were, so we 
had a truck, but then we didn't have gas to put in the truck. And then when we finally got going, one of our trucks got washed down a river. As as it tried to ford a river, it got washed down. And it was like every single thing that we had planned just completely ran into a brick wall on that trip. And like I say, we never got to the village. That, that was the whole point of our trip was to go to this village. We never got there. And you know, I think that was a good first trip for me because it was such a good and important lesson that, mm-hmm. you know, we make our plans and, and we'll do everything we can to, to put things in place and get things going. But at the end of the day, it is God who decides what will happen and what won't happen. And and I say in the book, you know, I, I wish that I could point to some great fruit from that trip or, or somebody we handed a Bible to who became the Billy Graham of Sudan. And, and I can't, I can't tell you what all the fruit of that trip was in eternity. I hope <laughs> we'll know, but I don't know now, but the lesson for me was, listen, yes, make your plans. Yes. Do as much as you can to, to try to accomplish what you feel God is calling you to accomplish. But understand at the end of the day, it's beyond our control. It's in his control what we will accomplish, whether he will get to the places we plan to go or not. And just the lesson of that, as I have then served, you know, more years at VOM and gone on many more trips, and, and I've had some of those experiences where it just didn't go according to plan. I've had some other experiences, though, where God just dropped opportunities in my lap that I didn't even expect. Um, So... God is going to accomplish his plans. Our job is to understand that and to accept that. And when things don't go according to our plan, instead of pouting or instead of arguing with God to say, okay, God, you know, I have my eyes open. Hmm. I want to see what your plan is in this situation that is not going according to my plan. I know you have a plan. Mm-hmm. Help me to see it and help me to fulfill what your plans are. I think of two scriptures when you share that, Todd. Uh, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And then the other one, of course, talking about obedience is better than sacrifice. And I think that's one lesson that we can learn when we try to do something good for God, try to do uh, work for God, and then you know it just doesn't go anywhere near how we intended or how we planned or how we thought it should go. But we obeyed, and I think God sees that. But I love the way you asked honest, raw questions like in the in that chapter, what are you doing, Lord? We're on your side. We're coming here to, to replace these Bibles that the enemy destroyed. And of course the Lord would want them to have it, his word in their hands. But for some reason that is out of our understanding, beyond understanding, it didn't go that way. Uh, Todd, we only have two minutes left in this segment um, in the very next chapter, there's a fascinating story about uh, you having a conversation with a man who was saved. He was a former Muslim, and he said to, about the evangelist next to him, he said, I used to beat him. Would you sh- share that in a minute and a half? Uh, sure. I, this is an amazing story from Ethiopia. This uh, former Muslim, uh, not just a nominal Muslim, though a very devout Muslim and a leader. Uh, he had been sent to Saudi Arabia for special training. He was a, a leader in the Muslim community, and he was a leading persecutor. Like He saw it as duty to Islam to persecute Christians. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this evangelist that we were traveling with, he took us out to meet this guy and uh, we actually had a great conversation. We heard his story. And then near the near the end of our time together, we're actually getting ready to get back in the car and leave. 
he's got his arm around the evangelist and he says, oh, I used to beat him. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, how are we just now getting to this part of the story? And and that's what he said. He said, I, when I was a Muslim, I was a persecutor of Christians. And, and this evangelist, he was trying to reach me with the gospel and I persecuted him. I beat him. I beat him severely. And instead of hating me, or instead of being angry with me, he loved me, mm. and he forgave me. And now, you know, like I say, he had his arm around his shoulder. <laughs> They're smiling and laughing together. They are truly brothers in Christ wow. and co-workers for the kingdom. Uh, but as he told the story, yeah, this is the guy I used to beat him. Wow. Uh, the book is called When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs. It's put out by Moody Publishers. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about a story all the way over in Central Asia uh, almost almost 20 years ago. And Todd had an, an amazing experience, and the chapter is called A Funeral Sermon. And then we'll talk about a story over in Iran as well, and a couple more when we get to, uh, as we go through the book here, When Faith is Forbidden. More with Todd Nettleton in just a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs. The book is called When Faith is Forbidden. And every chapter ends with a reflection. It, there's space for you to write your thoughts, to journal. And then there's a little entry from Todd Nettleton's actual journals from his missionary trips. I thought... Whoever came up with that idea, Todd, whether it was you, VOM, Moody Publishers, it was just, I think that was very impactful. Uh, you want to comment on that before we continue? Well, you know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons I keep a journal, I'm not a journaler normally. Like in my normal, regular life, I don't write in a journal every day. But when I travel, I almost always do. And, mm. and one of the reasons is that is really a gift to my wife. Mm. It's a way for her to share in the experiences that I'm having. And, and when I get home from a trip, I will hand her the journal and she will read through it. And then we'll talk about the trip and we'll talk about some of the people that I met. Mm. Um, but I thought it, it just, the the goal of this book is for you to feel as the reader, like you came on a trip with me. Uh, and so sharing those journal entries is, is like sharing like if we were sitting on a plane together and talking about the last place we had been. So it, it was a way to kind of make that sort of travel and trip idea come to life in mm. the minds of the readers. Very well done. Uh, let's jump over to the chapter called A Funeral Sermon and talk about Pastor Ragamoff. Well, I love this guy. I met him in Central Asia. He was one of the first people in his country to become a follower of Jesus Christ, and wow. he became a pastor. And he, he told me the story of going to a village where he was trying to plant a church, and he just so happened, by, by God's you know divine plan, the village, just as they were getting ready to have a funeral for one of the village elders, a Muslim man who was one of the leaders in the village who had died. And so Pastor Rajimov decided, hey, you know, I want to join. I want to pay my respects to this village elder as well. Uh, but before the funeral started, he asked the mullahs, the Islamic leaders, uh, what had happened to the man who had died. You know, this, this man was an elder in our village. Uh, after he took his last breath here on earth, what happened to him? Hmm. And the mullahs 
you know, because in Islam, you can't really know what's going to happen to you after you die. Right. They're going to, you know, Allah's going to weigh out your good deeds and your bad deeds, and he's going to decide what happens to you. So the mullah said, well, we don't really know what happened to him. And Pastor Rajimov really challenged him. He said, well, why are you going to speak at this man's funeral if, if you don't know what happened to him after he died? How, you know, what gives you the right to talk at his funeral? And then these mullahs said, well, if you're such a smart guy, why don't you speak for the funeral? <laughs> and Pastor Rajimov oh, said, well, all right, that's a great opportunity. Let, oh, I'm happy to do that. Wow. And so literally he stood beside the coffin of this deceased Muslim, and he shared the gospel. He shared that you can know yes. what's going to happen to you after you die. You can know where you're going to spend eternity and where you're going to go. Mm. And afterwards, many of the people in the crowd came forward, and in their culture, this is a sign of great respect. So it sounds weird to us as Americans, but they kissed him on both his cheeks. So kiss on the left, kiss on the right, and that's a way of showing respect. And many of the people in the crowd who are predominantly, almost entirely Muslims, mm. kissed him on both cheeks. Welcome. Thank you for sharing that message. And then they told the mullahs, hey, we like this mullah, Pastor Rajimov. We like him better than any mullah we've ever heard before. We should have him come back and talk some more in our village. So it was an open door for him Amazing. to come back and to share the gospel because he saw an opportunity where, yeah. you know, where many of us would say, oh, this is, I'm going to sit here real quietly because I don't want to offend or, or I don't want to cause problems. Uh, but he said, hey, this is an opportunity for the gospel. How can I take advantage of this? And so he stepped up and, and preached the funeral for a Muslim uh, in a village in Central Asia and turned it into an opportunity to share the gospel. And when he was invited back, he went back and showed the Jesus film to these Muslims. Who, what, what, who, I don't know anybody in my life that would walk up to someone, uh, you know, Muslims going to a funeral or something like that and just start up a conversation uh, but, man, that is the kind of faith that most of us would like to have, but it just takes that step of obedience. Um, Todd, before we get into the next story over in Iran, where in the uh, is the most dangerous place for Christians, or what are the world's most dangerous countries for Christians today? You know, I... I I think we have to say North Korea, just from the level of control, the level of oppression, uh, literally thousands of Christians in political prisoner camps in North Korea. And there's a there's a very good reason for that. The, the Kim family, the regime, they paint the Kim family members as divine beings. Uh, literally, kindergartners are taught before you sit down to eat a meal, to say, thank you, Father Kim Il-sung, the founder of North Korea. Thank you, Father Kim Il-sung, for our food. So when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ in North Korea, it's not just a matter of, well, hey, we don't, you know, we don't do that here, or hey, that's a Western religion. We don't, we're Easterners. We don't believe that. It literally is treason. It undermines the foundation of the North Korean regime for you to say that Jesus Christ is Lord, because if Jesus Christ is Lord, then Kim Jong-un is not Lord. And, and so wow. they cannot let the gospel spread because it is such a threat to the regime. And that's why there are thousands of Christians in concentration camps, because they are determined to keep the gospel from spreading inside North Korea. So uh, I think that would have to be 
the hardest place to be a Christian, but there are Christians. Don't don't think that because of that there aren't Christians in North Korea. There are followers of Jesus Christ there, but they pay a very high price. Wow. Um, Todd, let's go over to Iran. I really would love for you to tell this story before we run out of time. And we've got almost 10 minutes left. Uh, the story about an Iman uh, over in, an Iranian who said that his time of persecution was the sweetest time of his life. Hard for us to grasp, but share that story, please. I love the story of Iman, and I love all of the stories in the book, but but for some reason the story of Iman always moves me. He, As he began to share his story with me, he, he said, now I want you to understand, I am a very competitive person. I said, okay, you know, that's cool. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm a very competitive person. He said, when I was in the Iranian military and we were fighting the Iran-Iraq war, I told my commander, listen, sir, you send me to the place where the fighting is the absolute fiercest. (laughs) If I'm not in a place where I can be martyred for my country within 24 hours, I don't want to go there. And he said, when I was a drug addict, I wanted to be the most drug-addicted person ever. I wanted to use every single drug that anyone in Iran was using, and I wanted to use more of every drug than anyone else was using. So even as a drug addict, I was competitive. And he said, when I was a thief, I wanted to steal more than anyone else was stealing. And if someone else tried to steal something and and ended up failing and got arrested, I wanted to go and steal that thing just to prove that I was a better thief than that person who failed. (laughs) Wow. So... So he's like, you got to understand, I'm very competitive. I said, okay, okay, I get it. You're very competitive. <laughs> but what happened is Iman was a drug addict, and he was miserable in his drug addiction. And uh, he he prayed one night. His, his family had basically deserted him. They went on a trip, and they said, Iman, you look horrible. You stay home. We don't want to go with you. So they left. He was home by himself. And he, he just prayed, God, save me. Save me from my addiction. And he had an amazing experience of Christ's presence with him in the room where he was at. And he said, I knew Jesus was there, but I am such a sinner that I didn't deserve to see him. So he said, I kept my eyes closed hmm. because I didn't deserve to look at Jesus in the face because I was such a miserable, awful sinner. But Jesus saved me. And from that moment forward, he has never had even the temptation to use drugs. Like the the desire for drugs was completely removed from him. Wow. And instantaneously, when he had that experience, he wanted to tell every single person that he ever talked to about Jesus Christ. He, he you know, that, that competitive fire suddenly turned in a holy direction. And he said, listen, I'm going to be the best disciple that Jesus has ever had. I'm going to be the best evangelist that Jesus has ever had. Any person that I talk to, I'm going to tell about Jesus. Every conversation, I'm going to tell someone about Jesus. And when you do that inside the Islamic Republic of Iran, you're going to end up in prison, right? I mean, you're going to get arrested. You're going to have trouble. And Iman did. He got arrested. He was actually thrown in solitary confinement for a number of days. Then he was put in a general population cell with a hundred other people, a hundred other prisoners. And in the course of the time he was in that cell, he shared Christ with all 100 of those fellow prisoners. And 24 of them prayed with him to confess their sins, 
to ask Christ for forgiveness and to commit their lives to following Christ. Hmm. Now, Iman actually was was bailed out of prison and he stayed three extra days <laughs> to, to keep this. He was like, hey, we're having a great season of ministry here, so I'm going to stay here. <laughs> oh, and finally goodness. the guards are like, wait a minute. They bailed you out three days ago. What, what are you doing there? And uh, so he finally left because the guards were getting suspicious. But that month, you know, every month he sends in a, a ministry report to his leaders in the House Church Network in Iran. And that month he sent in his ministry report. Hey, in the last month, I've shared Christ with 100 people, and 24 of them prayed with me to receive Christ. Nowhere in the report did it say, I got arrested I went to jail. I was doing this ministry in jail. It just said, you know, I shared Christ with 100 people. 24 of them prayed with me to receive Christ. Mm. Well, several weeks later, uh, Iman's leaders in the House Church Network discovered that he'd been arrested, that, that this whole month he had been in jail. And they're like, Iman, why didn't you say that? You know, why didn't you tell us you got arrested? Why didn't you tell us you were in jail that month? And Iman's attitude was, why does it matter where I was doing ministry. Wow. The important thing is, I shared Christ with 100 people that month, and 24 of them were born again and are following Jesus Christ today. Mm. Why should it matter yes. if I was outside or inside a prison? Why should it matter if I was inside Iran or outside Iran? The thing that's important is I shared Christ with 100 people, and 24 of them prayed with me to receive Christ. That is his attitude and his even when he stood before the judge, he said, listen, judge, I'm not trying to start a revolution. I don't care about politics at all. He said, I'm not even trying to start a church. <laughs> but Jesus saved me from drugs, and I want him to save more people. I see the people who are addicted, and I want Jesus to help them too. How can I not tell them about something that helped me when they so desperately need help? So he, like I say, I love this story because of how Jesus reached Iman. Amazing. And because of how Jesus turned his nature. Like, like he already had this competitive nature. He already had this drive to do everything 100 miles an hour and to be <laughs> the very best that he could possibly do. And now Jesus has turned that drive into a holy direction, and he is 100 miles an hour sharing the gospel, and he is determined to be the best follower of Christ that he can possibly be. That's what I love so much about Iman's story. Praise God for that, Todd. And we, we got time to squeeze in one more story, and I've got to jump over to the chapter. That was a wonderful time. And I'm quoting from the chapter. You said, the translator didn't mess up the question or the answer, but Sister Tong messed with my mind that day. And, and she changed the way you think about prison and suffering. And Todd, wasn't that the trip that uh, your wife was able to come along with you, her first trip? Tell us about that. Yeah, my wife was with me. We met Sister Tong just a couple weeks after she had been released from six months in prison in China for hosting a house church in her home. And so, you know, I'm interviewing her. I know I'm going to come home and tell her story. So I'm thinking, you know, if we're going to tell the story, let's get the setting right. And I say, Sister Tong, tell me about the prison. And the thing I have in my mind is, you know, tell me how hard the bed was, tell me how big the rats were, <laughs> tell me how miserable your life was in prison. Right. And the translator translated the question. Uh, Sister Tong got a huge smile on her face, which I thought, okay, I'm, I'm a little concerned. She got a huge smile on her face. She said something in Chinese, and the translator said, oh, yes, that was a wonderful time. 
<laughs> and I, I looked at him because I thought, okay, there's a misunderstanding. You know, there's a disconnect here. Yeah. I asked about prison. That There's no way someone would ever describe prison as a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. But what Sister Tong went on to say is, Jesus was so close to me in that prison cell. He was right there with me every single day, and I experienced him in a way that I haven't experienced him before going to prison. And she said, you know what else? There were ladies in my cell, and when I got there, they did not know Jesus Christ, but now they do. I got to be the one who introduced them to Jesus Christ, and they're following him now. So so Jesus was with me, and he gave me a ministry to do. That was a wonderful time. And the question I ask in the book is, okay, if six months in a Chinese prison could be a wonderful time because you get to experience Christ's presence in a new and powerful way, and because he gives you a ministry to do, a ministry to bless people around you, if six months in a Chinese prison could be a wonderful time, what is there in my life, what is there in your life that that maybe you haven't noticed that could also be a wonderful time. Is it possible that sickness could be a wonderful time? Is it possible that unemployment could be a wonderful time if you experience the presence of Christ yes. and if he gives you a ministry to do? What in our lives could be a wonderful time if we would sort of borrow Sister Tong's glasses mm. and try to see that situation through her eyes? Wow, what a great story. And I love the fact that we can all relate to thinking that the translation was messed up because of their reaction. But when you saw the genuine joy, doesn't it say the joy of the Lord is our strength and to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials and the testing of our faith produces endurance, Todd? It it does, and we see our persecuted family live that out Mm. and exemplify that. And there's so many stories of that, and I think it's it's one of the things about persecuted Christians. You picture them as depressed and downtrodden, (laughs) but when you sit down with them, they are joyful and excited about what God is doing. The book is called When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians by Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs. It is by Moody Publishers. You can get it on Amazon. You can also uh, get it on the Moody Publishers website and more wherever great books are sold. Todd, in the last uh, minute here, how other than prayer, and that's important, how can we come alongside and serve our persecuted brothers and sisters? You know, prayer is their first request, so, mm. so I, I don't want to underemphasize okay. that is the first thing they ask us to do. And I think the second thing is just to to learn more, to educate yourself. Read this book, sign up for the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, listen to Voice of the Martyrs radio, gain understanding so that you can pray more effectively and more passionately. And And I think as you do that, God will open some doors for specific ways to fellowship together, and, and maybe it's sending Bibles, maybe it's writing letters of encouragement, uh, but start with prayer, and then number two, educate and learn more so that you can pray with more knowledge for what persecuted brothers and sisters are going through. Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs, thank you for your time. Continued good success with the book, and we'll catch up with you again soon. God bless you, brother. Bless you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, Todd. All right, when we come back, some uh, more stories that are in the news. Uh, Some good news. We'll start off with a big Supreme Court decision and more in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. 
Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. I've got to read from Hebrews chapter 11 after that uh, interview with Todd Nettleton in verse 6, of course. Without faith, it is impossible to please God for the one who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he proves to be the one who rewards those who seek him. And then if you go down to verse 13, talks about all the great uh, heroes of the faith that came before us and uh, great men and women of God. It said, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Heavenly one. Um, so some good news before we get into a couple of concerning um, government issues. And uh, the Supreme Court, Monday, sided with a Christian student out of Georgia. Big win for free speech. And I think we need to hear this. It was an 8-to-1 Supreme Court ruling in favor of free speech and justice for those whose rights have been violated by government officials. The court sided with a former Georgia college student who sued his school. This was five years ago after officials prevented him from sharing his faith on his own campus. He was represented by Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF, Kristen Wagoner. Uh, this was a big win for all Americans, no matter your faith, politics, or ideology. Um, here, cancel culture is ripping through our land, and we need more cases like this. And his name is Chike Ozabunam, and he was one courageous man who took a stand for Christ and freedom, and whose case not only caused the college to change its policies, but it made it all the way to the Supreme Court. So what happened? College officials stopped him, not once but twice, from peacefully sharing his Christian faith with fellow students on campus. After they demanded, he jumped through all these different hoops to use a tiny speech zone on campus that was only open 10% of the week. He did that, what they required, and the college argued that his speech should not receive constitutional protection. Here's what Chike Uzabunam said prior to that case. Nonetheless, I got the permission. I signed the documents. I indicated what time and what place I was going to be there. I indicated the content of my message. I even submitted the literature I was handing out. And two police officers came and stopped me again. I just felt frustrated. I felt confused. Why would you encourage debate or vigorous conversation on campus and then tell me to stand in a spot in order for me to stop sharing my faith? So, as you know, um, the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for our sins. And whoever believes in him may have everlasting life. If this sounds hateful or intolerant, maybe you have the problem and not you listening. Probably 99% of you have no issue with sharing faith publicly. But stop and think about this for a minute. Last summer... Thousands of arsonists, looters, vandals, even some murderers, because there were several dozen murders on the streets of our country. They had free reign 
in cities across America. Free speech in any and every public place. Billions of dollars in damage was done in these cities across the country by a godless, globalist, Marxist, antichrist network. And here is a young man on a college campus who followed the law, did what they required, got permission to speak on his own campus, and the police showed up. Loot, destroy, burn down a building, and police are told to stand down. Something is wrong with this picture. These Democrat double standards have to be exposed. And you and I have to speak the truth, friends, as long as we have air in our lungs, right, our beating hearts, and we're not canceled on social media or wherever else. We must keep speaking. So um, I got an article on this. It's coming out today over at freedomproject.com. And, uh, again, the ruling, great news. It was an 8-to-1, nearly unanimous Supreme Court ruling. It was an excellent sign that, um, you know, we'll likely be seeing more of these cases because the Biden-Harris administration, they're clamping down on believers, churches, First Amendment rights, religious freedom. So, again, a huge win for free speech and religious expression. And that is if you think sharing the gospel is important. Then you would agree with this. Okay. Um, Let's go to the next story. Uh, Another good news, in a way, tongue-in-cheek, but it's good news. Over at DISRN, D-I-S-R-N, a new scientific study finds no evidence that stay-at-home orders reduced COVID-19 deaths. A significant study, supposedly scientific study, published by Nature Found, the imposition of stay-at-home orders issued by governments attempting to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 was an ineffective strategy (laughs) after a year, right? So in 98% of the comparisons, using 87 different regions of the world, we found no evidence that the number of deaths per million is reduced by staying home, the study authors wrote. The study contradicts the conventional wisdom promoted by the WHO, who, World Health Organization, governmental entities, and the leadership of social media platforms who have limited or censored contrary views. Once again, the study finds that no evidence can back up the the success, or they should it should say these stay-at-home orders. They did not reduce COVID-19 deaths. And here's what I found. I don't remember who said this first, but they say, "Oh, we're listening to the science. Oh, you got to trust the science." But we have to dissect that statement. They are only trusting the science of the scientists on their side of their view. Usually it's the progressive worldview. So they are only trusting their scientists that conclude what they want. They are not trusting all scientists, and thus they are not trusting the science. Otherwise they wouldn't, want, wouldn't say a man is a woman or a woman is a man. Science, right? Yeah, they don't even trust biology, let alone the Word of God. So, another article. This was over at USA Today. I don't often mention this uh, publication because it's biased and liberal. But airlines ask White House to develop standardized COVID-19 travel passports. Mm. What this means is legal... uh, Leading airline and business groups are asking the Biden administration to develop temporary credentials that would let travelers show they have been tested and vaccinated for COVID-19, a step that airline industry 
they believe that this will help more people travel. So, in other words, get vaccinated first and then prove your vaccination before you can move around the country. Does that not sound like communist policy? Show us your papers. Were you vaccinated? All right, go ahead. No vaccination? Sorry, you cannot fly. Um, we may be heading there, friends. I just wanted to share this. This is starting to be discussed. And airlines, that industry, um, I'm looking at the, the article here. Yeah, they're, they're just working with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, wanting them to take a leading role. They believe that this idea of vaccination proof before travel would increase certainty that uh, information in the credentials is legitimate and that people can travel and more people feel safe to travel. You know, if, you're, if your faith is in a vaccination, let's, let's, let's not go down that road. Let's go to the next article. All right, so there's two appointments. We mentioned uh, the Biden administration appointments. We mentioned that he um, appointed this economic policy advisor linked to Kashmiri extremists. That's right. Uh, it's why? Because it's all about diversity. So Biden announced a deputy director of the National Economic Council, NEC. This is a forum responsible for advising the president on U.S. and global economic policy. And he, he, um, nominated Fazili. Uh, what's the last name? Oh, that's actually a last name. Samira Fazili. And, uh, this, they're all, you know, proud of the fact that uh, she is the first uh, Muslim-American woman appointed to this type of post. So this is over at One News Now. You can look that one up. Biden economic policy advisor linked to Kashmiri extremists. They don't care because, hey, they got they just scored one for diversity, right? Oh, my goodness. Okay, um, one more. We have time for one more. This is Tony Perkins, Washington Watch. Two appointments the GOP should cancel. He's talking about Joe Biden's deputy picks, the most controversial, as, as if there's a bunch of them. But um, he's trying to slip these radical nominees under Americans' noses with all the other news that's going on. A lot of people, I'm afraid, aren't paying attention. But Tony Perkins says, and just how much power do the seconds in command at HHS and the State Department have over, for example, abortion or transgender policy? Well, Rand Paul and Marco Rubio, just two of the the uh, senators that happen to believe these individuals have way too much power. Um, they always they already mentioned uh, they warned about Xavier Becerra, uh, Miguel Cardona, other top level agency officials, and Rachel Levine or Levine and Wendy Sherman. They aren't household names. But Rachel Levine is the man who uh, is a transgender woman, but he's a biological male, and he was nominated by Biden because a stir when he, when Biden first nominated him. But they'll be affecting households across America. Across did I just say across <laughs> households across America and millions of others, assuming their conf- all of these confirmations go through. But over at Washington Watch, Tony Perkins Family Research Council FRC dot org FRC. Dot O-R-G. Uh, this was on Tuesday's Washington Watch, and it's called Two Appointments the GOP Should Cancel. may have been yesterday. 
So it's a lengthy article, but it goes into the background here, talks about what they they believe, and it's very, very concerning. So check that article out. One more. We might have uh, time to squeeze this quick one in. If the stimulus bill is supposed to rescue Americans, why is it funding the killing of babies in the womb? This is over uh, at Focus on the Family by Jim Daly. President Joe Biden is expected to sign uh, by the week's end, the latest COVID-19 relief bill. And from what I understand, only 10% of the bill is actually COVID-19 related. It's a blue state bailout. $650 million over the next two years going to the city of San Francisco, for one. Helping Illinois, Massachusetts, um, other blue states. Um, a hotly contested, fiercely debated piece of legislation filled with massive pork, including the funding for abortion, known as the American Rescue Plan of 2021. The stimulus doesn't include uh, language from the Hyde Amendment legislation that has historically prohibited taxpayer dollars from funding elective abortions. Money from this will further fill the coffers of groups like Planned Parenthood. You can read that. Uh, we have all these links in today's post at StandUpForTheTruth.com in today's post with Todd Nettleton uh, called when faith is forbidden. Got to stop there. Running out of time. We'll let you know who our guest is tomorrow when we come back. Stand up for the truth. A ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. It's been author month here at Stand Up For The Truth podcast. It's amazing. We've had Eric Jackson uh, we've had Carl Gallup's, his book, The Summoning, uh, Dr. Erwin Lutzer and uh, his book, uh, We Will Not Be Silenced, J.B. Hickson, uh, his book, Top Ten Reasons Some People Go to Hell, One Reason No One Ever Has To, Jake Jacobs yesterday, his book, Mob Rule, Todd Nettleton today, When Faith is Forbidden, tomorrow, Sam Sorbo, she's got a book out, Words for Warriors. We'll get an update on her ministry, her and her husband, producers, actors, and authors, and very influential in the conservative movement. I don't know how they still uh, impact Hollywood, but they are still there on the front lines there. So Sam Sorbo tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.